How you doing, Reliance Church? You guys good? All right, I'm glad to hear it. We're going to be in Malachi chapter 3, if you'll open your Bibles there. We're in Malachi chapter 3, and um, I'm going to get right to work. We've got a lot of ground to cover. So uh, here's the deal about the book of Malachi. Um, There's 55 verses in these four chapters, and of the 55 verses in Malachi, 47 of them are God speaking directly and personally to his people. And what we have here in Malachi is an urgent plea from God to his people. And what you hear, what comes off of these pages, is the heart of a father who's seeking his children because they are unraveling. His children are heading off that proverbial cliff. And so what we see here is is that God loves us enough to chase after us. Jesus has been called the hound of heaven. And, and so what we read in Malachi is a father who's chasing after his kids who are unraveling. And he's chasing after them because he loves them. The big idea of our message today in Malachi chapter 3 is simply Jesus. That's our message today. It's the proclamation that Jesus is coming to purify and to refine his people. And we can either listen to his messengers and we can heed his message or we can ignore his messengers and we can reject his message. That's the big idea of uh, chapter 3. We're going to pick it up in chapter 2 at the last verse, verse 17, where we read, You have wearied the Lord with your words... And yet you say, in what way have we wearied him? In that you say, everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord, and he delights in them. Or, where is the God of justice? Chapter 3, verse 1, Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. Even the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming, and who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire, and like launderer's soap, he will sit as a refiner and a purifier of silver. He will purify the sons of Levi and purge them as gold and silver, that they may offer to the Lord an offering in righteousness." Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasant to the Lord, as in the days of old, as in former years. And I will come near you for judgment. I will be a swift witness against sorcerers, against adulterers, against perjurers, against those who exploit wage earners and widows and orphans, and against those who turn away an alien, because they do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. For I am the Lord, I do not change. Therefore, you are not consumed, O sons." Of Jacob. Now God begins here and he says, You have wearied the Lord. That word wearied literally it means to wear down, to grow tired, or or to be pained. Now, you parents, you understand this this statement really where really well. You have wearied the Lord. You think about, you know, parents with kids. How many of you have kids? More than one. How many of you have more than one kid? Okay, a couple of hands went down. All right, so you got more than one kid, and what do you have when you got more than one kid and you only got one toy? You have chaos is what you have. 
And, and, you know, I heard a comedian once, he was talking about, you know, how we are with our kids, and he says, dads aren't interested in equality, they're not interested in fairness, they're not interested in anything else, they're interested in one thing, peace and quiet. That's what dads are interested in. And so you get your kids, and, and you know, I think of a hundred instances where something happens, and the kids are fighting, and the kids are fighting, and the kids are fighting, and what's it doing? Well, it is wearying you. It is, you are wearied by it. You are, you're, 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 you get to the point where you're just like, that's it! Nobody gets the toy anymore. Dad gets the toy. Now, that's the way it's going to be. Why? What happened? Well, what happened was the kids wearied you. They wore you down. And this is what's going on here. How are the people wearing God down? Well, he, he says there in verse 17, you have wearied the Lord with your words. And yet you say, in what way have we wearied him? In that you say, everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord and he delights in them. Or where is the God of justice? Now, what's going on here is exactly what Peter described would be going on uh, in the last days. Peter said that scoffers would walk according to their own lust. I'll put the scripture on the screen for you. 2 Peter chapter 3, and this is important because it gives us a really solid insight into what's going on, the dynamics that are going on in Malachi chapter 3. And so what Peter says, he says, most important. Excuse me, most importantly, I want to remind you that in the last days, scoffers will come, here it is, mocking the truth and following their own desires. They will say, what happened to the promise that Jesus is coming again from before the times of our ancestors? Everything has remained the same since the world was first created. In other words, what they're doing is they're scoffing at the idea that God is going to judge sin. That's the idea here. And, and, and this, this is what Peter talks about. It's exactly what's happening here in Malachi chapter 2 and into chapter 3. So Malachi says, listen, you've wearied the Lord with your attitude. You're either in the camp that says God hasn't intervened, so he really doesn't care about our sin, Or you're in the camp that says God hasn't intervened so he really can't do anything about our sin. This is what he's saying there in in, uh, chapter 2, verse 17. Either way, here's the net result of such an attitude. The net result of this attitude is that the people ultimately, they blow God off and they don't take sin seriously. They just blow him off. He he doesn't care about our sin, so I'm just going to blow off what he has to say. Or, you know, he really can't do anything about my sin. Either way... Well, I'm just going to blow that off. And this is what the people are doing. So Malachi says, what you've done by doing that and by having that attitude and out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And, and so what you've done by behaving that way, well, you, you've wearied the Lord. Again, this is exactly what Peter warned about, that people would be scoffing at God, that they would be mocking God, and that they would be following their own desires, and, and, and so the people say, you know, what happened to the, to the promise that, that Jesus Christ is coming again? Because, you know, my granny talked about it, my mom talked about it, and here I've lived my whole life, and I don't see anything like that. And so, so, you know, what happened to this promise? Well, here's what Peter goes on to say. He says, they deliberately forget that God made the heavens by the word of his command, and he brought the earth out from the water and surrounded it with water, and then he used the water to destroy the ancient world with a mighty flood. In other words, they deliberately ignore the fact that God dealt with sin once before. 
that he got to the place where he had just quite enough, thank you very much, of the sin of mankind, and God said, that's it, that's done, I regret that I've, that I've created man, and now I'm going to destroy them, and he flooded the earth. And, and so he, Peter says, look, the people deliberately forget that God did that. Continuing, he says, and by the same word, the present heavens and earth have been stored up for fire. Peter says they are being kept for the day of judgment when ungodly people will be destroyed. But you must not forget this one thing, dear friends. A day is like a thousand years to the Lord, and a thousand years is like a day. Peter says the Lord isn't really slow about his promise as some people think. No, he's being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but he wants everyone to repent. Now, now I spend this time here in 2 Peter going through these verses um, because it it has very much an impact on our understanding of Malachi chapter 3. And what I want you to see, I want you to see the heart of the people and I want you to see the heart of God. And, 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 and again, key to understanding what's going, off, going on in Malachi. First of all, the heart of the people. The heart of the people that Peter describes and whom Malachi addresses are one and the same. Uh, they're people who see God as either winking at sin or they see God as not really serious about it. And, and, and because that's the way that they see God, their hearts are far from him. Uh, Isaiah the prophet said this about such an attitude, such a people. He said, these people say they are mine. They honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me, and their worship of me is nothing but man-made rules learned by rote. And and, and so in contrast, that's the heart of the people. In contrast, what you see here in, in 2 Peter, and you see it also, Malachi alludes to it, is you see the heart of God. Um, And Malachi is going to get into that as we get further into the chapter. What you see is you see a heart of a father desperately trying to save his kids from the wrath which is to come. And and, and Peter says here, what he says is he says, look, just as God flooded the earth with water to judge sin, the day is coming when he's going to flood the earth with fire to judge sin. God is very serious about sin and about dealing with sin. But because God is loving and because God doesn't desire to see anyone perish, he's patiently delaying what he's, this judgment that he's, that he's going to be bringing. Nevertheless, what we need to understand is that the day is eventually going to come when we have to give an account of our lives to God. The Bible says in Hebrews 9.27, it is appointed for men to die once, but after this, the judgment. Stories told of a HMO executive uh, who, who dies, and, uh, and he goes up to heaven. And uh, he's greeted there by, you know, St. Peter, and he says, uh, what, what makes you think that, uh, that we should let you in? And he said, oh, you know what, I, I provided, you know, health insurance for, for so many people and, and did such a, such a great service to people, I should be let in for that. And Peter says, what's your name again? And the guy tells him his name, he says, well, let me get back to you. And he goes away, he comes back, he says, all right, I got good news and I got bad news. He says, the good news is you're covered, you can get in. The bad news is you can only stay for two days. <laughs> yeah, right. 
It's appointed under men to die once, but after this, to judgment. That word judgment is an interesting word. In the Greek, it's the word crisis, spelled with a K. It, it literally means a trial or a contest. And for many, Judgment Day is a crisis because they imagine it like the characters in that bad joke that I just told you. They basically imagine that, you know, when I have to face judgment, well, there's going to be this cosmic accounting where my good deeds are weighed against my bad deeds, and if my good, weed, good deeds outweigh my, outweigh my bad deeds, then, then I can get in. And, and that's a problem because the Bible says it doesn't really work that way. The Bible is very clear, and we prayed it this morning, that there is none righteous, no, not one. The Bible says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And the Bible says that the wages of sin is death. That is indeed very bad news, but the gospel is good news. The gospel tells us for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Jesus told Nicodemus, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. The Apostle Paul said that God demonstrates his own love towards us in this, that while we are yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's the gospel. And, and listen, if you don't know it, you need to hear it. And you need to hear the heart of God behind it. That God loves you desperately. That God does not want to see you go to hell. God has to deal with sin. He has to judge sin because he is a holy and he's a righteous God. And he will judge sin, but he's delaying because he wants none to perish, but all to come to everlasting life. This is what he says in, in 1 Timothy. God desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. And it's with that heart, and we need to understand this heart, it's with that heart Then Malachi now says, Behold, chapter 3, verse 1, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. So so the heart, the idea, when he says, I will send my messenger. Well, who is he talking about here? When he says, I will will send my messenger, and he'll prepare the way before me. Well, Jesus, speaking in the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, he said that this is none other than John the Baptist. And the Gospel of John, God speaking through John and and to us by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, here's what he says. He says, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. This man came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. Here's what I want you to understand. God loves us so much that he sends messengers into our lives to reach us. Remember, Who's, who's writing the book that, that, that we're, we're reading? Well, it's written by this guy Malachi. Who is Malachi? Well, the name means my messenger. And, and so here, Malachi, my messenger, sending this message of you are going off a cliff, you are train wrecking your life, you need to come back to me. God sends his messenger. God calls John the Baptist my messenger, and says, I'm going to send my messenger. And many of us, listen, we had messengers come to us, didn't we? If you are today in a saving faith in Jesus Christ, chances are God sent a messenger to you at some point in your life to share the good news with you, to share the gospel 
The whole gospel. Listen, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and the wages of sin is death. And you had somebody in your life at some point that came to you and gave that message. For me, it was a guy named Roger. And, it, and, it, and it is, it, Roger and Jean Souter, his wife and he, they came over to our house. They came to share the, the gospel with Brenda and I. And, and because of this man and because of his faithfulness, and, and I, I see it as being so monumental in my life, and then when I think back about it, in real time, I mean, the guy came to my house like maybe two or three times. And, and, and what happened as a result? Well, he changed the entire course of my life, of my kid's life, I planted two churches because of the, the messenger that God sent to me. And those two churches have planted literally over a dozen churches. Inter, not only you know, throughout different states, but, but worldwide we have different churches that, that have come out of those churches. Why? Because there was somebody that was faithful to be God's messenger. Again, it's likely that you're here because God sent a messenger to you. And, you know, maybe you're here today and you haven't come into a saving faith. But you're here because there have been messengers in your life that have tried to encourage you, listen, you need Jesus. Listen, here's my question. Number one, are you heeding the messengers that God sends into your life? Number two, and this applies to to the bigger majority, are you being a faithful messenger yourself? We are so glad and so grateful for these messengers that God sends. We're so glad and grateful for the messengers that God has sent to us in the past. And yet, for many of us, we're not faithful to ourselves to go out and to be a faithful messenger. We, we shared with you today in the, in the announcement time just the, the, what's tra- taking place, the Harvest Crusade. And, you know, this has been happening for many years and, and literally hundreds of thousands of people are coming into a saving faith in Jesus Christ because of faithful messengers of God. And I say that plurally because it's not just Greg Laurie who's giving the message. It's those faithful messengers that have been faithful to go out and invite their neighbors and to invite their unsaved friends and so on to come to hear the good news of the gospel. It's, it, it's those faithful messengers that respond and say they need those on the field, those decision follow-up counselors. And, you know, for, for many of us, we hear that and we think, I am not qualified to do that. There's a class. They actually train you how to counsel somebody. And there's all kinds of people around to help you. There's just some, a few basic things that need to happen. And, and so, again, my question for you is, are we being faithful messengers? We have opportunities for you right now to be faithful messengers, to get involved in, in being a faithful messenger in, in, in organized ways that we're reaching out. But all of us are called to be those faithful messengers. And so, so really, you know, what's happening here is God is saying, you're going off track, you guys are heading over a cliff, and I'm going to send my messenger because I love you. He sent messengers into your life because he loves you. He's calling you in turn to be messengers because he loves the people that he's placed you in, into their lives. 
And I want you to notice that God also sends another messenger. He sends his son. He says, Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord, whom you seek, will suddenly come to his temple, even the messenger of the covenant, in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. God sends this other messenger into our life. Turn to uh, Luke chapter 20 real quick. I want to expand on this. Luke chapter 20. Pick it up in verse 1. Now it happened on one of those days, as he, that is Jesus, taught the people in the temple and preached the gospel, that the chief priests and the scribes came together with the elders, confronted him, and spoke to him, saying, Tell us, by what authority are you doing these things? Or who is he who gave you this authority? But he answered, and he said to them, I will also ask you one thing, and answer me. The baptism of John, John the Baptist, was it from heaven or from men? They reasoned among themselves, saying, If we say from heaven, he will say, Why then did you not believe him? But if we say from men, all the people will stone us, for they are persuaded that John was a prophet. And so they answered that they did not know from where it was from. And Jesus said to them, Neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. Verse 9, then he began to tell the people this parable. Parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. So Jesus tells them this story. He says, a certain man planted a vineyard, leased it to the vine dressers, and went into a far country for a long time. And now at vintage time, he sent a servant to the vine dressers that they might give him some of the fruit of the vineyard. But the vine dressers beat him and sent him away empty-handed. And again, he sent another servant, and they beat him also, treated him shamefully, and sent him away empty-handed. And again he went to a third, and they wounded him also, and cast him out. This is Jesus telling a story about these vine dressers, and he's painting the pictures about what happened in the prophets that God had sent, these messengers that God had sent to the people, and the, the people, one by one, they beat and they killed the prophets that God sent to them, these messengers that God sent to them. Verse 13, then the owner of the vineyard said, what shall I do? I will send my beloved son. Probably they will respect him when they see him. But when the vine dressers saw him, they reasoned among themselves saying, this is the heir. Come, let us kill him that the inheritance may be ours. And so they cast him out of the vineyard and killed him. Therefore, what will the owner of the vineyard do to them? He will come and destroy those vine dressers and give the vineyard to others. And when they heard it, they said, certainly not. And then he looked at them and he said, what then is this that is written? The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. Whoever falls on that stone will be broken. But, who, but on whomever it falls, it will grind him to powder. And the chief priests and the scribes that very hour sought to lay hands on him, but they feared the people for they knew he had spoken this parable against them. Here's the point. God loves you so much that he sends messengers to you. 
He sends messengers to you to draw you to himself, and he even sends his own son to to draw you to himself as a messenger of his. And if you reject his messengers, and if you reject his message, listen, there is no hope left for you. This is, this is the, the thing that is, that is being conveyed here in Malachi chapter 3. God is saying, you, your life is a train wreck and you are heading off a cliff and I love you so much I'm sending messengers to you. And I'm going to send messenger after messenger after messenger and, and eventually I'm going to send my own son as a messenger to you. I love you. Verse 2, but who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like launderer's soap. He will sit as a refiner and a purifier of silver. He will purify the sons of Levi and purge them as gold and silver. Here's what the refiner would do. The refiner would would stick that metal, that precious metal in the fire. He would heat it up and then what would happen in the heating and in the melting of this precious metal, impurities would rise to the surface. And they would rise to the rise to the surface as these 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 dark areas, these dark liquidous areas that would that would mar the image and cloud the image and what he would do is he would take very carefully and he would draw off the dross, which is what that's called, he would take that, draw, that dross off and he would continue this process until there was nothing that was marring the, the clarity of that precious metal. And he knew when he was done, when he could see his face reflected in, in that which he was working in. And so the, the, the message being, being uh, conveyed here is that that is what Jesus Christ is sent to do, to accomplish in, in us. He, he sent to, to purify us and to cleanse us and to get us to the place to where God can see his reflection in us. And so this is, this is what's being conveyed here. And, and again, like a launderer's soap, he, he's come to, to wash you clean. He says, he will purify the sons of Levi, verse 3, and purge them as gold and silver that they may offer to the Lord an offering in righteousness. And then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasant to the Lord as in the days of old, as in former years, and I will come near you for judgment. I will be a swift witness against sorcerers, against adulterers, against perjurers, against those who exploit wage earners and widows and orphans, and against those who turn away an alien. Interesting that we should read this section of Scripture right now in this point in time, isn't it? Man, there's a lot I could say about that verse. Here's what I will say. I'll say that I'm in a quandary. I, your pastor, am in a quandary because I see what's going on internationally and I see what's going on right here in our backyard. I deal with this issue of turning away an alien and, I, and, I'm, and I'm torn, I'm struggled. Because our immigration policies in the United States are horrible. Uh, we have a president in the White House who, I don't care how you voted, he refuses to enforce law. And we have a nation that's crumbling financially that, is, that this administration has spent more money than every president that has gone before them combined. Every president that has ever been in office 
If you take up everything they've ever spent, every administration, it's less than this administration has spent. We're going bankrupt. We can't afford the policies that are being passed. That's all true. And yet I read here in Malachi that God is going to be a swift witness against those who turn away an alien. I don't know what the answer is. I don't. But I know God's called us as Christians to love and to be his hands and his feet. And I know that we need, wit- we need, we need wisdom like now, right now like we've never needed it before. I don't, I don't even pretend to have the answer to this current problem. I don't know what the answer is, but I'll tell you as Christians, the answer for us is we have to do business with God to say, Lord, how do I make sense of all this? What's being conveyed here is that God says, I'm going to judge sin. And the big idea of what we're reading here is that we have to figure out, who am I before God? Am I somebody who has surrendered his life to the Lordship of Christ, who has received the messengers that God has sent to me to come to the place where I recognize that apart from Jesus Christ, I am a person who is separated by God from my sin. And that Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sin in my place. And that my only hope is to surrender my life to him. And and that's what we have to deal with here as we read these verses because God is saying very clearly, look, I'm sending messengers into your life, one after another after another, and I'm sending my only son into your life as a messenger, and I'm going to beg you, will you please turn from your wicked ways? Will you please surrender your life to the Lordship of Christ? And he says, I will be a swift witness against all of these because they do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. For I am the Lord, I do not change. Therefore, you are not consumed, O sons of Jacob. You know, this can be a confusing section of Scripture. And it's confusing because what Malachi here does, he's a prophet, and he's, he, he's, what he's doing is he's mixing the first coming of Jesus Christ, and the second coming of Jesus Christ. In Luke chapter 4, when Jesus began his earthly ministry, he went into the temple, and when he was there, he read from Isaiah 61, verse 2. I'll put Luke chapter 4 on the screen for you. Here's what he says. Jesus, as he reads from Isaiah, he says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. The idea, the acceptable year of the Lord is, listen, it is not too late. Right now, today is the acceptable day. This is the acceptable year of salvation. And this is what Jesus Christ came to preach. Now, it's interesting He stopped there, and Luke's gospel tells us at this point he stopped and he closed the book and he said, this prophecy has been fulfilled in your hearing. But that's not where that scripture finishes when you look at Isaiah 62 or 61 verse 2. When when he says to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord in Isaiah, there's a comma after that, and then what it goes on to say is, "And and the day of vengeance of our God. Jesus finished the sentence where there was a comma, closed it, and said, this has been fulfilled in your hearing. Why didn't he finish 
the entire prophecy that was, that was given there in Isaiah 61. Here's why. Because Jesus knew that there was an interval between his first coming and his second coming. His first coming, Jesus came as a suffering savior, as a suffering servant, as a loving extension of God's grace. At Jesus' second coming, he's coming as a conquering king. And Jesus, when he comes the second time, this is when he's going to come to pour out his wrath on all mankind. The prophets didn't understand this. They, They saw the first and the second coming as one event. This is why Jesus said to his disciples in Matthew's gospel, he says, For truly I tell you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see, but did not see it, and to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. So what happens is when we read now Malachi chapter 3, and we read all of these prophecies that are given in verses 2 through 6, and we see intermingled there prophecies about his first coming and prophecies about his second coming, Well, what happens is we actually have a clearer understanding of the words that Malachi recorded than Malachi himself had. Now, see, yes, Jesus is the one who can, as Malachi says, clean us as launderer's soap and who purifies us as a a refiner of silver and gold and who makes it possible for us to give an offering of righteousness. But he's also the one who at his second coming will come in judgment against adulterers, against sorcerers, against those who exploit widows and orphans and those who turn away an alien. And see, here's the thing, what you need to understand, right now we live in what what many theologians call a parenthesis of time, where we live in between the first coming of Christ and the second coming of Christ. This is the church age. And this is that age where when we have the opportunity to, rest- to respond to these messengers that God has sent, including his son, where, where it, we are called to receive the message of those messengers and also be messengers ourselves to talk about the acceptable year of the Lord. It's not too late. You can receive Christ as your Lord and Savior. You can be saved. But listen, when his second coming... And by the way, he can come at any moment. There's lots of prophecies given about the the second coming of of Christ. There is no prophecies that that biblically are are yet to be fulfilled. Jesus Christ can return mid-sentence right now. Are we ready? I want to talk about that second coming of Christ. I want to talk about the judgment of Christ. See, the Bible speaks of two distinctly separate judgments. Jesus explained the first part of this process of judgment in in Matthew's gospel. Again, I'll put it on the screen for you. Jesus said this. He says, When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the holy angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate them one from another as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. And he will set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on his left. And so what's happening here, he's going to separate the two. Who are the sheep? It's those people that have responded to the messengers that God has sent to them. It's those people that have recognized Jesus Christ is is the Son of God. As Peter said, you are the Christ, you're the Son of the living God. Where else can I go? You're the one who has the words of, of eternal life. And so those that have recognized Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, those that understand and believe and have confessed that I am a sinner by nature and by choice, 
that I've rejected God in, in my lifestyle and in the, the sins that I've committed, and that the only hope for me is Jesus Christ and Him crucified, that He died on the cross for my sins in my place. And I believe that and I confess it. That He died for me, that God rose Him from the dead. When He rose from the dead, He conquered sin and death. And that in Him, I can conquer sin and death. I can have the hope of eternal life. That's what makes you a sheep. The goat is the one who's rejected all the messengers. And having separated the two groups, the goats are going to appear before what's known as the great white throne judgment. In Revelation chapter 20, I'll have you turn there in a minute. And the sheep are going to appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Now, 2 Corinthians 5.10 talks about this judgment seat of Christ. Paul said, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Now, that sounds confusing in light of everything that I've just said, but this isn't talking about our salvation. It, you're not going to be judged you know, at, at the judgment seat of Christ you, as a, as a follower of Jesus Christ, who've trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you're not going to be judged according to your own works, according to your sin. You're going to be judged for salvation based on Christ's work, but what's going to be judged at the judgment seat of Christ is the works that you've done for Christ. For me, as a pastor, every message I've ever preached, every person I've ever counseled, every person I've ever gone to the hospital and cared for, Every, every marriage I've officiated, every funeral that I've ever performed, every work that I've ever done in Jesus' name, setting up curtains, setting up chairs, being serving in the children's ministry, every work that we do as Christians, we will go to the judgment seat of Christ. And there what's going to happen is the motive of our work is going to be judged. And in 1 Corinthians 3, what Paul tells us is that some of our works are going to be gold and silver and precious stones, but some of our work, it hasn't been done with the right motive. It hasn't been done with the right heart. And, and so that he equated to wood, hay, and stubble. And, and he says in, in 1 Corinthians 3, 14 and 15 that all of our works are going to be tested by fire. He says, if anyone's work which he has built on it endures He'll receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. In other words, all the works that you have done that, that are wood, hay, and stubble, they're not going to go through that fire. Yeah, you're saved because you've placed your saving faith in Jesus Christ. That's what gets you into heaven. But the works, this speaks to our reward. You say, I'm in heaven. What more reward could I have? There's this awesome picture in the book of Revelation about the elders gathered before the throne and they, they cast their crowns at the foot of the Lord. They cast their crowns down at the, at the foot of his throne in worship to him. What a beautiful thing just to be able to say, Lord, what do I have? I mean, you've given me everything. What do I have that I could worship you with? What I have is the, the, the things that I've done for you and the reward that I've received. Now in heaven, Lord, I have something with which I can yet give you, you who have given everything to me. So for those of you that you've given your life to Christ by faith, this is your future. You're not going to have to appear before the great white throne judgment. You will appear before the judgment seat of Christ where your works will be judged. And you will hear from the Lord, well done, thou good and faithful servant, enter in to your master's happiness. 
But those who have not given your lives to Christ, those have to appear what's called the great white throne judgment. Turn to Revelation 20, and we're going to finish here. Pick it up in verse 11. John, writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says this, Revelation 20, verse 11, Then I saw a great white throne, and him who sat on it, from whose faith the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works. I want to underline that, according to their works. By the things which were written in the books. The sea gave up the dead who were in it, death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one, He repeats himself here, just in case you didn't get the first time, according to his works. Here's the deal. You will either trust in your works, trust in yourself, or you're going to trust in the work of Jesus Christ. And and you are welcome to trust in your own works, in your own efforts. You're you're welcome to do that. But what God says in His Word is that ultimately, when you are judged, you will either be judged according to the work of Jesus Christ, or you will be judged according to your own works. And if you want to be judged according to your own works, what you will find is that there is none righteous, no, not one. That the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus. And you will find that if you're trusting in your works, you're going to be sadly mistaken. You will be judged. Some questions to consider as we close. Here's the first question. Are you a child of God? Do you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior today? Listen, God has sent messengers into your life. I know it for a fact. And if you're here today and, and, you, and you have either rejected those messengers or you have misunderstood the message, let me be clear. The message is this. Your works will get you to the place of judgment and hell. The only thing acceptable to God is the work of Jesus Christ who died on the cross for your sins in your place. And so if you're here today thinking that somehow you're good, if my good works outweigh my bad works, then I can be right with God, you're sadly mistaken. Your salvation is in Christ and Christ alone. And so the question is, are you a child of God based on that? And as we close in prayer, if, if there's any doubt whatsoever, I'm going to give an invitation and I pray that you would respond to trust in Jesus Christ and His atoning work for your salvation. That's the first question. Are you a child of God? Here's the second question. Are you a faithful messenger of Jesus Christ? Again, we have all received the benefit of somebody who was faithful to share the gospel with us. 
And so we have to read Malachi chapter 3. We have to appreciate the messengers that God has sent. And we have to come to the conclusion that we ourselves have a responsibility to be a messenger ourselves. Are you being a faithful messenger of Jesus Christ? Third question, are your works fireproof? Are your works fireproof? Are the things that you're doing for the Lord, are they for selfish reasons or are they acts of worship? This applies to every part of your life that you say, I'm doing fill in the blank for God. I'm writing my tithe check for God. I'm serving in the children's ministry for God. I'm setting up on Sunday mornings for God. I'm preaching a message for God. I'm teaching a Bible study for God. I'm hosting a Bible study for God. Are those things that you fill in the blank Are they fireproof? I pray you would really write each one of these questions down and take a prayerful walk with it this week and see how the Lord speaks to you.